Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello and welcome into another episode of Believe in the ATP Tour. I'm your host, Jacob Sersosimo, and you're listening on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? The U.S. Open, one day away. Um, I cannot believe a Grand Slam is this close to being played again. It seems like it's been forever since a Grand Slam's been played or since a tournament of this magnitude has been played. And obviously the Western and Southern Open just ended. And I'm going to get to my U.S. Open predictions. That's why I wanted to get it th- get this podcast out on Sunday to make sure that my predictions were raw and I had no preconceived things happening around me. I didn't have any matches played. I don't have anything. Okay? These are going to be real predictions. And if I get them right... Oh, you bet I'm going to celebrate. Um, The Western and Southern Open recap, uh, the men's side was really interesting. The women's side was really good as well. Um, There were just some players that didn't play very well in it. And obviously, it's kind of a bummer that there is no title. um, Or there is a title, but there was no title match, no championship match. And we'll get to that in a second. But on the men's side, Novak Djokovic, 23-0 in 2020. Not a bad record um, for the guy from Serbia. So... Novak Djokovic, obviously playing really well. He's one of the best hardcore players to ever play on the ATP Tour and in tennis in general. And he's going up against Milos Raonic, which Raonic has not been great for the last couple of years. So it's really good to see him back at a spot where he can make the final of a Masters 1000. Now he beat Tsitsipas in the semis um, to get to Djokovic in the finals and really gave Djokovic a run for his money. Beat him in the first set 6-1, lost the second set. And in the third set, they were kind of really close and... Um, breaks and stuff like that, and it kind of came down to the end. But um, nevertheless, Novak Djokovic wins the Western and Southern Open, ties Rafael Nadal for the most ATP 1000s won um, with 35, which is an incredible feat. 35 ATP 1000s for both Ra- or not Roger for both Rafa and Novak Djokovic. But ATP 1000s are also hard tournaments because everyone's usually playing in ATP 1000s, and they're a big deal, and especially leading up to the U.S. Open. Now, I have this idea, right, that some of these players didn't really care how they did in the Western and Southern Open. Maybe they wanted to win a round, maybe they wanted to win two rounds, but none of them really wanted to go that far, I think, because the U.S. Open's right around the corner. And if you look at the purse for both the U.S. Open and the Western and Southern Open, the U.S. Open purse is significantly larger, as it should be. It's a grand slam. And it does more for you to win in a win go win and go farther in a grand slam than it does for you in an ATP 1000. So what I think is some of these players like Dominic team obviously didn't play well or some of these players um I think they all tried to win but I don't think they really had that, you know, mamba mentality when playing when it gets, you know, close to the end. You know, if they're not going to win it, it's not going to be the end of the world. They'll just train for a few more days and then play in the U.S. Open. And I think that's kind of what most of them, I don't want to say most of them did it, and I have no insight to say they did it, but I believe some of them felt that way about this Masters 1000s. Now they're trying to win it, um, but if they don't win it, who cares? The Grand Slams are right around the corner. But on the women's side, Naomi Osaka originally said last week that she wasn't going to play in the semifinals match because of everything surrounding the Black Lives Matter movement and the shooting of Jacob Blake in Wisconsin and how the Milwaukee Bucks boycotted their game in the NBA. The NBA then boycotted a few more days. The MLB did. 
the MLS did. Um, you know, there was weren't practices held for the NFL, and then and then you look at um, tennis, and Naomi Osaka was the first one to really put her foot down, and say, "I'm not going to play in this." Next thing you know, tennis cancels Thursday matches, and then they come out with a statement. That says this, as a sport, tennis is collectively taking a stance against racial inequality and social injustice that once again has been thrust to the forefront in the United States. The USTA, ATP Tour, and WTA have decided to recognize this movement in time by pausing tournament play at the Western and Southern Open on Thursday, August 22nd. Play will play will resume on Friday, August 23rd. Now, Naomi Osaka comes back and goes, okay, I will play in the semifinals because it is Friday. And I believe she does this because, obviously, the Western and Southern Open pause play. So they got their point across in tennis. But if you look at racial injustice and racial inequalities and racism in the sport of tennis, um, there are a lot of people on the forefront of that conversation in the sport of tennis. You look at Coco Goff, the teenager out of Florida at the Del Rey Open during the pandemic when George Floyd was killed by Minneapolis police officers in Minneapolis, she gives an impromptu speech at that tournament. And then you got women like Serena Williams, who is also speaking out about stuff like this. Um, and then Naomi Osaka, obviously, is taking a hard stance on it. Um, and you just look at um, African-American women in the sport of tennis that are American. You have Serena and Venus Williams, some of the most pronounced and successful women's tennis players in the history of the sport. Sloane Stevens, who won the U.S. Open. Um, you know, Coco Gauff, uh, Naomi Osaka. You have some of the most well-known women in the sport of tennis speaking out about problems like this. And I think it's such a strong statement from these women. And it's really good to see that kind of diversity not only speak their minds in the sport of tennis, but also be some of the best players in the world. Right, so the following that these women ha- that these women have are tremendous, and the fact that they're doing things about racial injustice and about racial inequality and about racism, not only here in America but around the globe, they're doing it at a global level on a global platform in a global sport. So the fact of the matter is, tennis is, is extremely should be extremely grateful to have these women as a part of their sport because what they are doing in the world. Um, not only on the court, but off the court is tremendous and beyond, beyond what anybody could have ever asked for, for them to do for the sport of tennis. So incredibly proud to have these type of women, um, at the forefront of this conversation, at the forefront of this tennis universe and at the forefront of this sport. Now let's move on to Azarenka. She gets the crown. Um, she gets the title at the Western and Southern Open. Let's go to the U.S. Open. The U.S. Open, I'm jacked up about, if you can't tell. I'm kind of getting a little heated in this podcast. I'm talking to a wall right in front of me with a microphone, and I'm using my arms. I'm jumping around. I'm really excited. It'd be entertaining for somebody to be able to watch me do this podcast. But the U.S. Open, I'm really excited about, and there's a lot of reasons I'm excited about the U.S. Open, not only because it's the first Grand Slam coming in, but because there's a lot of good players in it that I haven't watched in a while, right? So this is unlike any other year, obviously. I bet you've heard that a billion times. But the fact of the fact of the matter is we haven't really seen a lot of these players play leading up to the U.S. Open. Yeah, they've played in the UTS. Yeah, they've played in side tournaments here and there. But these aren't real lead-up tournaments to the U.S. Open. Usually they play in D.C., usually they play in Canada, um, usually they would play in Cincy, although they did play Cincy, but they'd play these tournaments 
around, they play Winston-Salem usually. Um, around the U.S. Open, you can kind of see how people are playing in hardcore. Well, this year, no, haven't really seen how people are playing in hardcore. So this is what I'm really excited about. Djokovic gets a one seed on the men's side. Pliskova gets it on the women's side. Here is my prediction for who I think is going to win the U.S. Open on the men's side and on the women's side. On the men's side, this may not be a super dark horse. Um, it's going to be really hard to root or vote against um, Novak Djokovic because Novak Djokovic is so good. Um, he's playing so good right now, 23-0. But maybe that run he made at uh, the Western and Southern Open might hurt him. Probably not because he's in one of the best shapes of his life. Um but I'm going to pick the three seed, Daniil Medvedev, to win this year's U.S. Open. Now, I know that's kind of far-fetched in this year's U.S. Open, but if you think about how he played last year, it's kind of like, well, duh, he's obviously a favorite. He's a finalist last year. Well, Daniil Medvedev didn't play great in the Western and Southern Open. Haven't really seen him play at all throughout the course of this pandemic, and I just really trust him playing in New York. I know usually he has this love-hate with the fans. I know usually he has this chip on his shoulder when he comes to New York. But nevertheless, I am really excited to watch Daniil Medvedev play in the U.S. Open. I'm also really excited to watch people like Dimitrov. Dimitrov obviously had that big stint with COVID and had his first win at the Winston Southern Open since he had COVID. He also played in the Adria Tour. I'm excited to watch Dimitrov. I'm excited to watch the Canadians, Felix Ogier, Aliassim, FAA. And I'm also really excited to watch Denis Shapovalov, um, both in their Agassi throwback Nike uniforms, um, outfits. And those are a few guys I'm really excited to watch. Um, I'm re it's really hard to get excited about guys like uh, uh, Stefano Tsitsipas from last year. He had a really, really bad showing at the U.S. Open. So I'm really hoping that he kind of pulls that out and has a decent showing at least this year. At the U.S. Open, Dominic Team is the two seed um, because Rafa obviously isn't there. Neither is... Uh, neither is Roger Federer. And so Dominic Team obviously played not great at the Western Southern Open, lost first round, but I am excited to watch him in the U.S. Open. I think he's a really special player. He just is a special player when he wants to be. So there's kind of a little gray area there, and sometimes he's not as good as some people might think or want him to be. And obviously coming after a getting to the final in the Western Southern Open, I'm excited to watch Milos Raonic play um, right here in the U.S. Open. Dave Manure is going to be exciting, got exciting guy to watch. Excuse me there. Um, but let's go to the women's side. And the women's side, I'm not as surprising. Um, I do pick the four seed, Naomi Osaka, to win the women's side. I just, she's playing really well. She didn't play in the finals because she had a hamstring injury. I'm not too nervous about it. Um, Pliskova is obviously the one seed. But um, the four seed, uh, Naomi Osaka, I am the most excited to watch. Uh, Kvitova is also on that side. She has struggled at the Western Southern Open. Um, another American to really keep an eye on, Sophia Kennan. She's won the only Grand Slam of 2020. Made a big run there in Australia. But nevertheless, Coco Goff isn't really seated, but I am excited to watch her play. Uh, Kim Kleisters, she's back. Um, she's going to make a, she's going to make her debut back since she retired back at a Grand Slam. So I'm entertained by the fact that she'll be playing in this Grand Slam. Hopefully she doesn't get hurt. I know she's had some problems, but uh, hopefully those stick away for the remainder of the U.S. Open time. Um, something I, I really want to point out quick, uh, Bino Pierre got tested positive for COVID-19. He was in the tennis bubble, and so he will not be playing in the U.S. Open, and they are going to look at who he was in 
close contact to. Um, around the grounds, this is kind of the first big case to come out of the U.S. Open, and this could be really, really interesting to see who's in close contact. And it's going to really suck if you're in close contact with him and you can't play in the U.S. Open. Now I would think you can test for it, but then that goes back to, you know, what if you don't test for it, but you have to quarantine for a couple of days or, like, get your tests back, wait for those, and your match gets pushed back a day. You know, one match getting pushed back a day or two days can really affect the rest of the draw. So that'll be interesting to watch going through the U.S. Open. I encourage you to continue to watch for stuff like that. Um, but lastly, I want to talk about a group of guys, uh, two guys that won't be playing in the U.S. Open this year. And as a matter of fact, they won't be playing tennis at the pro level anymore. And that is the Bryan brothers. The Bryan brothers officially announced on Instagram that they won't be playing uh, professional tennis anymore. Now, we knew they were going to retire. We just didn't know when. Um, we knew it was going to be in 2020, but then again, all this stuff happened and they just decided to call it quits. Um, let me go through a couple stats of the Bryan brothers right now. 119 tour level titles, 119 Roger Federer's got like a hundred, maybe hundred and something. These guys, 119 as a doubles, as a doubles team, incredible 16 grand slam titles, four Nito ATP finals titles. 39 ATP Masters 1,000 titles. Now, Novak Djokovic has 35. These guys, 39. Novak and Rafa have 35. 10-time year-end number one doubles team. So for 10 years, there were 10 years somewhere in there that they ended it. They ended the year world number one. 438 weeks as the number one doubles team in the world. Now, in doubles, people don't stay together a lot. You know, sometimes... They find different partners. Things don't match. Things don't mesh. These guys, obviously, brothers, they figured it out early. They're going to play together. And so it does help that they stayed together the whole time. And they will probably, um, they probably have one of the best doubles careers ever. And it's going to be really hard to match what they have. I mean, the Colombians right now, if they end up sticking together because they're both Colombian and um, they play really well together, maybe they'll come close. But nothing compares to how the Bryan brothers have left the sport of tennis and left their legacy in the sport of tennis. Now, I remember when I was a kid, the Bryan brothers, I think for a lot of people, not just me, really opened up my eyes in the sport of tennis to doubles and really made doubles really, really fun to watch. You know, the chest bumps after the win, the electrifying energy that these guys had on court. I mean, these guys had everything. It was a righty. It was a lefty. It was brothers. It was electric. Um... I'm going to really miss seeing these guys on tour. I'm going to really miss watching their matches because doubles in the sport of tennis is always really fun to watch. And it's always, and it's also really fun to watch when you're watching guys like the Bryan brothers, or you're watching, um, you know, people of not only their character, but also their talent. Okay. I have a, a quick story. I actually walked back with the Bryan brothers last year at the U S open. I escorted them from, I believe it was court 12 or court 11, back into the um, back into the Arthur Ashe Stadium where their lockers were, right? And so I start walking them back, and I got high-profile players. These are the Bryan brothers. Everybody knows who the Bryan brothers are. And we actually waited. Um, we actually waited after we got off the court because they wanted to talk to a coach and an old friend and an old roommate or um, whatever the case may be. But they were talking to all of these people while signing autographs and all these swarms around them. And they were as cool as can be, right? They just want a match in the U.S. Open. Not a big deal. 
They were, hey, let's talk to my wife and kids. Let's talk to some friends. Like, oh, how are you? I haven't seen you in years. How you been? All of that. And it just opened my eyes to no matter how big you are, you know, 300 and or 438 weeks at number one for doubles ever, right? 10 times year, year end number one, um, 16 Grand Slam titles. You're still taking time after a U.S. Open win in the middle of the grounds to not only sign autographs and take pictures, but talk to those maybe you haven't talked to in years and also just enjoy the scenery and enjoy the people around you. Um, some players, you know, they wait till they get inside Arthur Ashe or behind the security to talk to their friends and family. These guys, right, wide open. Let me just talk to my kids. Let me talk to my wife. Let me talk to, um, you know, my coach and then everybody else that's around me and let, let me just enjoy this experience. So the Bryan brothers, I tip my cap to you. And I just want to say thank you for making tennis the great sport it is, treating the sport right, and also having such an incredible career and showing me how great doubles is in the sport of tennis. Watch the U.S. Open. That'll be it for this week's episode. Watch the U.S. Open. Stay up late. Watch the U.S. Open. Start watching it during work because it will start early. I think I believe it starts about 11 a.m., um, but it's going to be entertaining. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be weird. Um, just keep an eye out for that. Next week on this epi- or on the next episode next week, I will recap everything that happened in the first week. I'm sure it's going to be a lot. I'm, I'm expecting some changes. I'm expecting some weird things to happen. Hopefully no more COVID cases, um, but it's going to be weird. If you want to reach out to Believe, you can reach out at Believe.com or at Believe Podcast, or you can reach out to me at Jacob Sersosmo, both on Instagram and and Twitter. Stay safe out there. Wear a mask if you need to. And most of all, take care of yourself and take care of your family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.